0: Everyone who decorated for my teaching this morning, <laughs> I really appreciate it. Makes me feel special. Imani, I think Imani, I think you had something to do with this. Am I right? <laughs> and in a moment, Scott's gonna. Whoa. In a moment, Scott's going to tell me when I can begin, so. All right, we're going to begin. Hello, my name is Dennis Stewart, and we're very glad to have you this morning. And I have the lessons here, and you, those of you who are listening online know that we provide notes every week, and you can access those. And so, I'd like to talk about Peter this morning. It's uh, close to one of my longest titles ever. So, it's uh, Peter, follower, stumbler, coward, forgiven, and courageous. The title would have been even longer if I would have spelled all the words correctly. So, <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's one of my longest titles. And I think this is my longest subtitle. We've all traveled this long spiritual road. It often seems more like a quick trip around the same block than a road that leads to a new destination. Let me tell you what I'm thinking about when I say that. A trip around the same block, the spiritual road that we're on. We wanna go somewhere higher levels in Christ Jesus, amen? And yet we seem to go around in a circle, continuously sometimes or too often. Let me give you an example. Have you ever prayed for forgiveness and thought to yourself, I've confessed this before. I'm right back in the same place. I've done this before, I've said this before, I've apologized, I've, I've confessed this before God, before. What am I doing? What's wrong with me? Why do I keep repeating the same errors, the same sin? Why do I do that? Anybody? Okay. Okay. Those of you who I haven't touched yet, how, how many would agree that you think I've probably done that a few times? Okay, now I have everybody recorded. Tammy's going to tabulate those results and type them up for you next week. Well, the night of Jesus' betrayal, arrest, and torture must have been the worst night of Peter's life. We know it was for Jesus. We're talking about Peter this morning. must have been the worst night of his life, absolutely the worst. There are a few people who recognized him at Caiaphas's house out on the patio. The fire was going. People were huddled around to keep warm. There he was. He denied Jesus three times. Um, most of the other disciples fled in fear. They were just gone when Jesus was arrested. John followed the crowd and Jesus to Caiaphas' house, and he stayed there for the whole thing. And I like to think that he was hiding in plain sight. He, uh, he may have had a hoodie on, okay, <laughs> and his head down a little bit, but he was part of the crowd. He wasn't standing out in any way. He was hiding in plain sight, in my view, his personal view. Um... Jesus, excuse me, Judas returned the money the next morning and went out and hung himself. Um, perhaps the disciples returned to the upper room, most of them or some of them, perhaps they did that. We don't know where they went. Uh, we're just not told. Wherever they were though, they were behind closed doors. On Easter Sunday morning, when uh, when the the next few things took place that we're going to talk about, they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. And they were behind closed doors, and Jesus was a resurrected body. At that time, he had no use he had no use for doors. He he didn't need them or windows. He just entered. John twenty nineteen it says then the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto him to them peace be unto you let's take a look at a closer look at Peter the reason I like to do this is because if we can understand God's work in Peter then we're we're far better able to understand God's work in us. So let's, let's take a look at God's work in Peter this morning. He's often referred to as the common, everyday disciple. He's most like the rest of us than the other disciples in many people's point of view. Now, people are different, and they're going to perhaps relate to another disciple... But in the majority, people relate to Peter more than the others. It's not surprising because, well, in the Gospels, Peter is mentioned 120 times. So he comes up a lot. So we're going to relate to him because just for that reason, nothing else. Uh, John and Judas' names are mentioned 20 times. Okay, so Peter, that's six times more if my higher math is working. I'm getting hand signals. I'm either supposed to steal second base or. Is this not in the right place? So, John and Judas twenty times, or one-sixth. Andrew is mentioned twelve times. Thomas ten times. And the others are mentioned three times or less. Okay, So who are you going to think about more often? Peter. It's only natural that that, uh, we do that. I believe that Peter's many failures are another reason many Christians relate more to him today than the others we fail too and we need to ask forgiveness we need to be reconciled to the Father through Jesus and so I like to look at Peter and what he try to figure out what he was thinking what he was feeling when Mary Magdalene was at Jesus's tomb on Easter Sunday morning the angel spoke to her and, he, and she said and he saith unto them be not affrightened Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which is crucified. uh, He is risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples. What's in bold there? And Peter. And Peter. That he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. He told him he was going to see him again, right? Go tell him that that's about to happen. And Peter, and Peter. Some of the translations say, especially Peter. The disciples and Peter. Make sure you include Peter. I think we know enough about what Peter was might have been thinking because we know a lot about him. That after denying Jesus three times, he's... Probably doesn't feel like a disciple anymore, does he? He's filled with remorse, he's regret, he's sad, he has grief, uh, unbearable grief. Not believing that he's worthy to be called a disciple anymore, perhaps. Yet Peter's especially singled out in this announcement by the angel. Some interpretations, make it very very clear as I said especially Peter I like to think of that as especially me especially you so the other disciples fled in fear we know that. John decided to hide in plain sight. We know that. But not even Judas denied that he ever knew Christ Jesus. Peter's the only one that did that. Now I'm starting to really imagine how he felt a few days out uh, after, uh, on that Sunday morning. But Peter denied Jesus three times. Once positively, then contemptuously, and then blasphemously, he denied him. He was on the porch at Caiaphas's house. There were other people around by the fire. We're gonna talk about this for a minute. There's John adds detail to his story for a purpose. When you're reading John and you see John uh, has added detail, look at it closely. There's a reason for it. It's not just for your interest. It's there to point to a spiritual truth of some kind. He does it on purpose. It's something that he, he uh, is, is uh, prone to do as the Spirit led him. And it's always there for an important reason, it seems. I said always, maybe I should say most of the time. Positively. Now Peter sat without in the palace and the damsel came Unto him, saying, thou, art, thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. Declarative sentence. I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. Positively denied Jesus at this point. Two verses later. That was Matthew 26, 69 and 70. Now he's got Contempt. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. With an oath this time. Out of contempt, he said, I don't know him. I swear to you, I do not know him. And he gave an oath. Now blasphemously, Two verses later. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech betrayeth thee. Then began Peter, he, he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cop crew, which means that all night long had taken place. One might ask, if, if you don't know the man, what are you doing there? everybody else is asleep only the people that had something to do that night were there why are you there see his story itself gave him away but still it was blasphemy the way he said it and he swore and he cursed I don't know him and all of this had been prophesied by Jesus which means Peter's forgiveness was also a fulfillment of prophecy Jesus knew he was going to do that, and he prophesied that he would, and he prophesied that he would be forgiven so that he could strengthen the brethren in the trying days ahead. Does Jesus know we're going to stumble? Has he prophesied that he's going to bring us back? What's he want us to do? Strengthen our brethren. Strengthen those that are around us. Strengthen those who have fallen just like we had. We'll talk more about that. All of this had been prophesied by Jesus, which means Peter's forgiveness was also a fulfillment of prophecy so that he could strengthen the brethren in the trying days. In Luke 22, 31 and 32, Luke writes, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Told the whole story, didn't he? Right there, just a couple of sentences. So Peter had fallen in a terrible way. He was heartbroken. It probably did not feel he was worthy of being called a disciple anymore, but Jesus reached out to him in a special way. Jesus also knows our shortcomings and our failures and our denials. He offers us his hope and his grace. His forgiveness is especially for his followers, especially me, especially you. Especially you, especially me. Let's talk about breakfast with Jesus. We talk about the Last Supper a lot, don't we? What about the breakfast with Jesus on Easter Sunday morning? This was the last time that Jesus was going to talk to Peter and the disciples before he went to heaven. Um, They're on the Sea of Galilee. And there's seven disciples, and they've been fishing all night. Remember, Peter said, I go fishing. The others said, oh, we're going with you. So there were seven of them. They didn't all go. But they knew about fishing. They knew about their life before Christ. They knew about what they had done. There was a comfort zone. They knew how to make a living. they made a living before they met Jesus. They're fishing again. There's a whole lot more there, too. But backing up, do you remember three years before this day when Jesus was walking along the lake shore teaching the people? It was early morning. Peter, Andrew, James, and John had been fishing all night long, and Jesus entered the boat and taught the pressing crowd from the water line because they were just coming. Closer and closer, he finally had to step in Peter's boat and talk to them from the water. And after the sermon, he told Peter to launch out into the deep. Once again, they'd been fishing. They hadn't caught anything. He said, launch out to the deep. Throw your nets out. And he had such a great haul of fish that he had to call another ship in to help bring in all of the the fish because he just knew the nets were going to break if he didn't do that. And now three years later, John records Jesus' last conversation uh, with Peter before going to heaven. John 21, 12 through 17. Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus come, uh, then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest, agapeo. You know, of course, that's the perfect love. That's God's love. That's the love that doesn't require a love in return. That's the perfect, godly love. Agapeo, lovest me with that kind of love? More than these? Okay, these what? A lot of people think these fish. That makes sense because they've been fishing all night. They could return to their own life. Do you love me more than you love your old life? They had gone back to where Peter just a couple of miles from where Peter lived back there in Galilee makes sense makes good preaching too I've, I've taught it not that I was good but it, some people make it good he saith unto him yea Lord thou knowest I love thee Phileo. that's the brotherly love the love that we would have for each other through Christ It's not the kind of love that is going to ignore not having a love in return. It's not the perfect love, the godly love. It's the brotherly love, but it's not perfect. Peter says, I love you with a brotherly love, not a perfect love. Important distinction there. Some people think that Peter wasn't where he should be yet. I'm prone to think that Peter had gotten a big dose of self awareness. And having denied Christ three times, he knew that his love was far from perfect. Maybe he said, Lord, I love you, but I I I don't I I, I don't have the capacity to love you in the way that you love me. I'm not that pure. I'm not I'm a sinner. I love you as best I can, but it's not a perfect love the way that your perfect love is for me. Does that make sense? He saith unto him, Feed my lambs, and saith to him again the second time. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest Agapeo, loveth thou me. And he saith, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee, Phileo. He said unto him, Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He saith unto Peter, him, a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest Phileo. This time Jesus uses the word brotherly love. Phileo, thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee, Phileo. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. The more I thought about this, I thought, I can't tell Jesus that I love him with a perfect love. I'm not perfect. I'm just not. I know it. I think Peter has gotten this big dose of self-awareness as well. I'll show you what I mean here in a minute. But Three times Peter's confronted with that question. Peter began the events of that faithful evening where Jesus was betrayed, comparing his love for Christ to the love that the rest of the disciples had. Interesting. There's a one-on-one communication here between Peter and Jesus, and Peter says, I love you more than these guys <laughs> let's look at that mark fourteen twenty nine remember it's generally agreed that the book of Mark is written it's a written account of Peter's preaching so the reason Mark wrote it down is because Peter Peter was preaching it fourteen twenty nine in mark but Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will I not. All of these guys will be but I won't. I think there's a reason why after Peter denied Christ three times, that Jesus had him confess his love for him three times. kind of makes me think of when I <clears throat> no I didn't do this very much because I was you know near perfect as a child damn can tell you but if I happened to give my mom a little bit of lip sass her a little bit after I got up then She. <laughs> she would have me repeat the words I just said <laughs> and I knew I was fixing to really get it then as I had to repeat what I had just said. Well, a little bit of that's going on here, isn't it? Jesus is now having Peter tell him he loves him three times. But there's more. Jesus began questioning with, uh, Jesus began his questioning with, "Lovest thou me more than these?" Was it the fish? There's not just one meaning in all of these things. There's several things that we can glean from the scriptures. So I don't have a problem with that being part of it. That old life, you love that old life more than me. You love that fishing, that whole life that you had more than you love me. So that works. After all, they're returned to Galilee. They're in Tag... Again, i got to read it. Tag... Tabga, the little place not far from Peter's home on the shore of Galilee. Yet I also believe Jesus was humbling Peter who boasted to love him more than the other's disciples loved him. And They denied him three times, Peter did, at Caiaphas' house. While he was warming himself around... Charcoal fire. Why is it important that it was a charcoal fire? Why wasn't it just a fire? It's a charcoal fire. John adds that detail. What did he do that for? Let's take a look. At the Last Supper, Jesus took the role of the servant for the other disciples by washing their feet, and now with the seven at the breakfast, Jesus takes the role of a servant again by cooking their fish and he puts them on a charcoal fire, not just a fire, a charcoal fire. Disciples didn't have the pleasure of, of Rudy's Texas barbecue sauce to put on their fish like Luke and Sylvie always want when they come here from France. They want some of that Rudy's Texas barbecue sauce. They didn't have the advantage of that back then, the disciples, so they had to make to do with the charcoal flavoring for the fish, which is a very good flavoring. Maybe they had some herbs and spices that they added to it. But it was a charcoal fire, and it had a charcoal taste. One thing about a charcoal fire is that it involves all your senses Your taste, your smell, your touch, you can feel it in your nose. All of five senses are involved when you're around a charcoal fire. That's going to help you remember something, isn't it? We know that from everything we've read, that when all five senses are involved, you're going to remember it. So, this symbolism. Two times, and only two times, is the word for charcoal fire used. And John uses it, okay. Um, both times. John twenty one nine. Let's look at that one first. That's occurring at the breakfast. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals. That word there is anthracia. There, and uh, fish laid down um, up thereon, and bread. Okay, but you have that charcoal smell everywhere when you're around that kind of fire. The other time that's used is before now, John 18, 18. And the servants and the officers stood there the patio, in Caiaphas' house, who had made a fire of coals, that same word, anthracia, for it was cold. They warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and warmed himself and it was there that he denied Jesus. Jesus made sure they're the same kind of fire. He denied him three times, Is Jesus gonna have him say he loves him three times? Um, John has this penchant for detail and there's a purpose for it. And he was recording Peter's confession that morning's breakfast. And it's for us today as well. Have you remembered the times that you failed? God has a way of bringing those up for us, doesn't he? It's not a condemnation. But there is a conviction there. There's a reminder there. There's a, there's a warning there. Watch out. You've done this before. Stop. Three years ago, at that same lake, near that same area, if not the very same place, three years ago, Jesus was calling Peter to be a fisher of people. He said, I'll make you a fisher of men. Remember that? Today, He's calling Peter to be a shepherd of His people. That's different. Shepherd of His people. The flock would be the the people of Jesus' church, including Jesus' disciples, certainly in the short term until they received the Holy Spirit and followed the Lord's direction, going their separate ways. Well, Jesus' calling that morning was an exception of the original calling to leave their old life uh, and pursue the mission I've called you to on this pivotal breakfast morning. Leave that life behind. So it was also that, wasn't it? These fish. Leave that life behind. Become my shepherd of my flock. This time Peter didn't suggest that he loved disciples. That Excuse me. This time Jesus... <laughs> Let's try it a third time. This time Peter didn't suggest that he loved Jesus more than the other disciples loved him. Now, this time, he simply confessed that he loved Jesus to the best of his ability, knowing that he wasn't perfect, knowing that he couldn't be perfect, and he, he just couldn't see how he could love Jesus the same way that Jesus loves him, in the perfect love. He simply confessed that he loved him and this time Jesus told him to be a pastor, be a shepherd of the flock. Now this is the role Jesus had announced for himself earlier in his ministry. John writes it, John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. How would Simon prove his love for Jesus now? How could he do that? <laughs> By feeding his sheep. That's how. By caring for his little lambs. That's how he could prove his love. But some some believe that Peter's love for Christ was not what it should be as yet. Okay, because Jesus word the word used the word agapeo and Peter used the word phileo. And I've thought this as well at times and before, but I'm inclined more to believe that Peter's really self-aware because of his denial of Jesus. He realized that his love could never be as perfect as Jesus' as, as Jesus's love for him. Well, the last time Peter was asked about his devotion to Jesus, his answer seemed to be far more about himself than it was about Jesus. He said, although all shall be be offended, all these other guys here, yet will not I. Doesn't that sound a whole lot more like himself than it does about his love for Jesus? This time at breakfast, Peter was a different man. He didn't bring anybody else up at all. He knew that this was just between him and Jesus. Aren't you glad that you never compare yourself to somebody else? Okay. No show of hands, please. Just a rhetorical question. These questions from Jesus filled Peter with grief and sadness. Peter probably felt like he was being badgered by Jesus. Yet isn't this what repentance and reconciliation is all about? Being stricken with grief, sorrow, conviction? That's what reconciliation requires, isn't it? We can deny Jesus simply by remaining silent sometimes, even if we have the best of intentions. Were you ever in a conversation and you knew it was going off track and you just let it go because you wanted to have peace with that person that was talking? Is that a denial of Jesus? It can be, depending on the conversation, can't it? So we do that too. We deny Christ. And maybe after the conversation, we said, Lord, forgive me for that. I should have said something. Every one of us, there's times that it happens. Or we can nod our head in agreement at the explanation of a wrong treatment of somebody else and say, Yeah, I see why you did that. There are many other examples of denial or consent to the wrong behavior simply to have peace. You know as many other examples as I do. I've denied the Lord by my actions and then quickly sent up a prayer asking for forgiveness. Um, You ever heard somebody say, uh, well, they're telling you about someone that they had an interchange with, and what they did that hurt him, but I know Jesus has forgiven me. And then they go on talking, as though it was a comma. I know Jesus has forgiven me, comma, and right on with the sentence. The reason I bring that up is because I read somewhere that a long time ago, a theologian began to call that cheap grace cheap grace I thought, you know that makes a lot of sense to me sometimes we involve ourselves in cheap grace Lord forgive me we go on where's the grief, where's the sadness where's the conviction where's those other things that need to happen to be reconciled to the Father not always there are they we kind of look for cheap grace sometimes don't we perhaps it's a blurted out word or something that happens in mid sentence you know all of the things i could think i could uh, bring up so we need to take god's grace more seriously jesus is is teaching around the charcoal fire at this breakfast should remind us that failure should humble us failure should humble us Jesus humbled Peter to make sure Peter understood the gravity of his sin. Failure should also teach us humility. Yeah, okay, I made the mistake, but I'm better than this guy over here. You should see what that, well, I know you've, you have seen what this guy did, but you should see, I didn't do like he did. But forgive me. Anyway, cheap grace, cheap grace. We need to avoid that. Some people even have to experience failure in order to learn how to be the people God wants them to be. <laughs> they have to fail in order to understand, or they act like that's what it takes. I fit into that category every once in a while. I'm not going to ask for hands, but I, I, uh, I fall into that category now and then. In the case of Peter, the best part of Peter's life as a servant of Christ came after he failed. Think about that. The best part of his life came after he failed. That's when he became forgiven and courageous. This can be our history as well. If we learn the right lessons from our spiritual teachers, from the Holy Spirit, and from the Word. This can be the story of our life. Well, let's talk about deceptions then, as long as we're on that kind of subject. Deceptions. I believe uh, one of the deceptions of Satan today is the notion of making a mistake instead of admitting to sin. Well, I made a mistake a few years ago and spent three years in prison. My, son, my, my friend, you sinned three years ago. You sinned. Well, I made a mistake. I took the candy bar out of it. You sinned. I made a mistake. I, it's not a mistake, it's a sin. You add a column of figures, you get the wrong answer. That's a mistake. You turn left and you should have turned right to get to where you were trying to go. That's a mistake mistake is when the outcome is not predetermined a sin is when you know what you're doing is wrong and it leads to an outcome that you know is going to be bad but satan has helped us to replace that word sin with mistake he made a mistake it's not a mistake it's a sin We hear it from far too many people today, and I I, I hope that we're not saying it ourselves, but people are avoiding the subject of sin in their lives, either directly or indirectly, and it's a strategy of Satan. If a person is only admitting to making mistakes when they sin and not admitting to sin, there's a very, very big problem. It could become an eternal problem Why? No sin, no guilt, no remorse, no conviction, no confession, no reconciliation back to the Father through Christ Jesus. That's why. When sin becomes a mistake and not a sin, it has eternal complications. Does that make sense? All right, so watch for that in your own life. Romans 323 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God every time I look at that it's never said for all have made a mistake and come short of the glory although we've all made mistakes it's not there all have sinned you need to admit it secondly here's another deception and he's got so many okay here's a cup there's another one You'll see it more and more right now, and it'll jump out at you, hopefully after we've had this little conversation. You ever heard the term to triangulate? It became popular during an administration a few years ago when the president was caught in immorality with an intern. He began to triangulate. He thought it was so clever to use that word. I did this, but I'm not as bad as what this other guy did. The objective is to try for you to think worse about the other guy than you do about him. We see it in politics all the time. Just just turn on the news and you'll see somebody is going to triangulate. The subject begins with one-on-one. It's a straight line between A and B. Okay, And then what somebody does is go this way and bring in a third person. And now, instead of you and me, we got a triangle. For those of you who are just listening, I'm drawing a triangle in the air with my hands. It's not just a straight line between you and I or two people. Another's is brought in so that you'll feel worse about them than you do the, with the one who's speaking, and that's to triangulate. There are experts at triangulation, and they teach politicians how to triangulate in order to get out of any problem that they've gotten into. Well, <laughs> sure, I had the top secret files in mayor but he had them everywhere. He's got three or four places he's had tr- confidential files. Don't tell me about. Is that triangulation? Sure. You'll see it every night on the news, almost. Somebody's going to triangulate. Um. Watch for it. You'll see it right away. Sad thing is you see your friends do it. You see other people do it. Sometimes you'll catch yourself thinking that. Okay? Not as bad as this. Not as mad as, I can't think of a name. (laughs) Not as bad as Becky over here. Okay? Not as bad as her. Not as bad as Charlie. That's triangulate. They think it's a new technique because they thought of another word. It's comparative sin is what it is. But they thought of a new word, triangulate. So it's a new technique. Actually, it's as old as Adam and Eve. That woman you gave me. This conversation was between God and Adam. And what did Adam do? Over to the side. That woman you gave me. Triangulate. How new is it now? It's happened since there were two people on the earth. Um, okay, so Peter could have said, Okay, you're right, Lord. I've But these other guys, uh, you know, they all fled. I didn't flee. Uh, at least I didn't try to sell you off to the high priest like Judas did. Or at least I didn't try to just be in the crowd and hang my head so nobody would see who I was. I was speaking to everybody. I was bold. He didn't do any of that. This time he was extremely humble and he knew that it was between him and Jesus and he knew that no matter what anybody else was doing, we're talking about my sin. and God by his Holy Spirit approaches us that way all the time it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing does it this is between you and me please don't triangulate it's easy it doesn't take any brilliance of any kind and it's deadly spiritually deadly Well, there's many ways to feed sheep and care for the lambs, Peter's been told. You know, most church bodies uh, have certain facets or specialties feeding and care that ministries that they provide from within their denomination or their congregation. Some will devote their efforts to the physical needs of, of Christians or the lost by supplying food and Clothing, all of these sorts of ministries that go out. And, uh, you know the ones I'm talking about. They're they're needed. It's it's a good work. We don't do that, but they do it, and we bless them for it. It's a needed work. Disciples were were called, were told <laughs> to do that, weren't they, in the early church. Some will devote their efforts to those physical needs. Others will devote themselves to salvation and a new believer's ministry and their church grows. By. And that's a needed work. That's good. Still others uh, who minister in healing, or Holy Spirit ministries or certain other teachings. We have ours. Okay? Taken as a whole, the church as a whole by way of all these denominations are reaching out to everyone. Okay, There's good churches there are churches that are not so good but God has given them a job and they're doing it and they're doing it imperfectly. All of them are. But they're doing, they have their specialties. God orchestrates it so that everybody's being reached in some way, in some fashion, that can be reached by people who are trying to follow him. Well, should the church specialize in a ministry at the cost of not having time or a personnel to minister in the broader and more exclusive, inclusive platform? Minister to everybody about everything and Who's got that big of a church? And if they do, who's doing it all? Well, they can do or try to do so much that they're not doing a good job at anything. And so, yeah, specialties are, when directed by the Lord and the Holy Spirit and pastor receives and does, and so, you know all of the things I should say here, when that happens, they do need to have their specialties. Who can do it all? Um, I believe the answer to these age-old questions is contained within the next few verses that we're going to read here at breakfast. Here after Jesus said to Peter, Feed my sheep. He's already said, Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. John twenty-one seventeen through 22. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest phileo, Thou me. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest, Phileo, thou me. We've read that. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Phileo. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou would go. When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signified him by which death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, Agapeo, talking about John now following behind them. and He's the one that leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is that he that betray thee? He doesn't use his own name. He just describes himself. Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? And Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Take your eyes off of him. Your job is to follow me. Much of the church at large is too concerned about what the assembly down the road or around the corner is doing or not doing. And right here, Jesus straightens this everything out. says, what is that to thee? Follow me. Follow me. like Peter like Peter they're all they're focused on the other servants their job is to follow Christ just as our job is to follow Christ we are to pray seek God's direction and then put our servant hats on and follow Jesus leading through the Jesus is leading through the Holy Spirit that's what we're supposed to do it's a simple formula and it's one that works every time it's tried. <laughs> Take your eyes off the other churches, put your eyes on Christ and His leadership for you and your group and your your congregation and what you're supposed to do. Put the servant hat on and follow me. Works every time it's tried. Well, not all congregations are following. Christ as they should, it's, it's our duty to follow His leading for our congregation anyway, whether they do or not. We can even add something to our portfolio where they're not ministering as they should, if God tells us to. Jesus didn't tell Peter to stop loving or caring about John. no. He was telling Peter to focus on his own directive from the Lord and let John focus on John's directive. Let him do that. Still care for him, still love him, still have that relationship through me with John. But what he does for me is not your business. What you do for me, you focus on that. Having said all of that about these other churches, many congregations are reaching out to our congregation, so I wanted to address that for spiritual direction, for leadership, for teaching, for mentoring, and so on. Well, these are the sheep that need to be fed and to receive the care. Sheep-fed care three important things there that God wants for their church body God brought them to us I thank God that he's given us these assignments and when we follow his directive by reaching out and feeding them and caring for them and leading them as sheep are led to higher pastures in Christ Jesus then we're doing what God has asked us to do aren't we Even though we've been given our special direction from the Lord and the other churches have received theirs, therefore it doesn't mean that the needs of the believers in society are not being addressed by the church at large. We've covered that. Combine all of the church's ministries and God orchestrates it in such a way they're being cared for by imperfect people as they follow Him. Is everybody touched? Not yet, because people are imperfect. They're not following Jesus as they should. I believe God is able to orchestrate all of that, though. And when we're all using our specialties as He has purposed us to use them, we must finally say, What is that to thee? Follow me. Just follow me. So remembering these directories from our Lord, I believe Peter was able to get out of that dreadful loop that we talked about when we began. this. Instead of going to a higher destination in the Lord, he was going around the same block over and over and over again, wasn't he? Failing, crying, asking forgiveness, failing, crying, asking for you, failing, crying, asking for forgiveness, and so on. But now he went on and became courageous. Um, and um, then he was able to continue on his spiritual road that led to the higher destinations in Christ Jesus. And know that you know that that's what you want to do also but it's not enough for us to just want to do it we have to do it but then it's incumbent upon us to reach out and help others to do it in love and in such a way that we are helping and not scolding God's going to handle the convictions when we do it it's condemnation when God does it, it's his conviction. There's a whole big difference between those two things, isn't there? And uh, but that's what I believe that is our teaching for this Breakfast with Jesus that we've been talking about and Peter's denial and his reconciliation with Jesus. There's other things to talk about. So many things happened in there, but I believe we've covered a few of them. I hope it's it's helped yes ma'am
1: I just wanted to comment on from the beginning when you were talking about his denial three times Peters and he he obviously was afraid for his life yes he was and so he could see
0: Jesus being tortured
1: right yeah so it was fear that was driving his denial which is an emotion yeah and I remember raising when we were raising our kids I remember teaching them that you're going to find yourself in situations where you're going to have to make a quick decision. And your emotions will likely want to drive that decision. And I don't need to go into detail about what those things can be for detail for teenagers. But let's process together some of those scenarios that you're going to face, so that you're not making that decision in an emotional moment, that you're making the wise decision. You know what I mean? And I'm sure sure we all did the same thing with our kids. Just to prepare them not to be driven by their emotions and get themselves in a in a situation they don't need to be in yeah so i think about peter and i think about what jesus said to him about you know sifting him like wheat and that his faith not fail and i guess my point is is i think for all of us we don't know what's ahead we don't know if if we're going to come up to you know the possibility of martyrdom or i don't need to go into detail about that but I think we all need to remember that your faith not fail, your faith is your position at his right hand that you're fully persuaded of who he is and who you are in him and that is not an emotional place, that is a spiritual place and so I know I find myself from time to time thinking you know if you see on the news you know a guy with, they're about to cut his head off and and he won't deny christ we've all seen that on the news in the days past you know and you have to think what would i do Mm -hmm. in that moment of absolute fear but i guess my point is is that i'm so thankful for the revelation of what faith truly is that 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 persuasion of knowing who of knowing him more than anything but our place there at the right hand that no one can take that from us. Yeah, but it's not an emo. It can't be an emotional decision. Our emotions have to be so submitted to the spirit, and yet it, it's it's a discipline. But I think we all need to think through those things before we actually get there. You know what I'm saying?
0: I do. And do and one of the 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 big triggers of fear is surprise. Exactly. And so if we can teach them not to be surprised right then we're working on the fear right in a in a better frame of mind yeah uh, but surprise brings on fear
1: and fear will paralyze like you. like that
0: and and so um, there is there are times like when Je- what Jesus said to, Pil- to, uh, to Peter there's times when prophecy, prophecy is a war is a warning it's a preparation Mm -hmm. for the attack right and we saw that jesus did that here peter missed it but he later went back and realized right and we kind of figured out too late ourselves sometimes don't we
1: yeah this is really good so i mean especially where we're headed which we don't know
0: we don't know but god
1: will prophetically prepare us
0: yeah and we uh as we combine, not combine, yeah, combine. But as we, as we reach out to more and more churches, we need to help them understand that. What is that to thee? Follow me. Don't compare yourself to the other country, and don't say you know they did this, but we're doing this over here. Or why don't we get this instead of that? And, well what is that to thee follow thou me that's Jesus teaching and uh, received in the right life spoken taught in the right way the Holy Spirit can then deal with it before it's an issue does that help Uh, yeah okay thank you anyone else yes sir
2: earlier. So we was gonna do it. Um, one of the one of the things I'm gonna piggyback off what Monica was saying um, um, it. And this was really good, Dennis, the comparison, the back and forth, you know, because so much of our, our walk is when we do enter into failure, like Peter, I mean, he did fail. <laughs> but He was, he was the first one that stood up on the day of Pentecost and had the incredible revelation yeah. of what was going on. And I think that too speaks of some of this scenario as well. I mean, it's sure. not just, he left his net, he left his occupation to follow the Lord. I mean, there, there's a lot of different things in here that, yeah. that we can all, it's not just one teaching. Either. No, no, <laughs> no. I mean, it's a whole series in and of itself. Yeah. And um, there's things that we, there are sins that we do or whatever we want to call it. And we get stuck in the midst of that. And we do let fear drive decisions. I mean, I'm, I'm learning some things right now that are very, very personal that I can definitely pick up on in this teaching that are, I'm going to eventually lead to strengthening the brethren, but I'm not quite to the strengthening (laughs) part yet. So there's a lot in between that is growth beyond anything I've ever walked through up to this point. And so it's encouraging to know that (laughs) he's not there to beat us down. He's not there to uh, whack us over the head because I, I this is encouraging to know that a Peter-like person walked through this, was sifted, but yet came out on the other side being strengthened in a great way. And we don't yeah. really think of it like that. We, no. we get lost in the, um, oh, I made the wrong decision here, or I made the wrong choice. But really, God's thoughts towards us have nothing to do with evil. He says, you know, through, through Isaiah, I don't think, I don't have any raw or twisted thoughts towards you, but rather, thoughts of shalom. I'm here for you. I I knew, he knew Peter was going (laughs) to deny him three times before it actually happened. I mean, he knew everything. So, our thinking sometimes, a lot of the times, does not align with his thoughts towards us. And so, I'm learning that in a much, much deeper way now, and I just wanted to to thank
0: share you. that so all right thank you thank you all for coming and we'll conclude now because it's time but lord we pray that you would just bless those that are here bless our network pray that your holy spirit will lead us and teach us help us to follow you above all things and we ask this in jesus name thank you for it amen
2: Did you have the class in?